0: The UFC is back and so is the greatest fighter of all time. Jon Jones finally ate enough pasta to fight at heavyweight and we get to see him take on Cyril Gane for the UFC heavyweight championship. Who even is Francis Ngannou? Other than that, it is an enormously stacked card with a couple of people you might not have heard of, so let's take a look at them all. I'm Max from MMA on Point and this is The Unfamiliars for UFC 285. First up, at 155 we have Loic Radzibov taking on Esteban Reboviks. If you ain't heard, this one got put together on very short notice. Loic Radzibov was allegedly set to star on this upcoming season of The Ultimate Fighter, before Conor brought in some of his mates and Loic got the boot. But luckily for him, the UFC saw fit to give him the shot as a late replacement here, hailing from Tajikistan and now competing out of Kilcliffe, which is the new name for Sanford, if you didn't know. Loic Radzibov is a stud, and he's fought all over, from making two separate PFL finals to appearing in Khabib's Eagle. FC promotion last time out. As you may be able to guess from his name, beard, and the size of his back, this man is a wrestler, and he's sort of good at it as well. I don't know if Tajikistan has a national airline, but if they do, they need to name it after Loic because he sends people flying first class. Excellent lateral throws and high-angle body lock throws, mostly off the cage because of his huge clinch pressure. And once he gets on top in a scramble, your neck is in danger of the squeeze. He hits like a truck on the feet too. Nothing too fancy, of course, but if you're getting in the way of his combinations, it hooks and upper cuts on the end of them will end your evening in a flash. He has some serious natural power, even stunning guys with short punches when they're already in on his hips. Altogether very dangerous, definitely deserves a shot in the UFC and hey, he just skipped having to live in a house with a bunch of blokes for a few weeks and I'm sure he's pretty happy about that. lowick's opponent Esteban Rebovic makes his debut here as well after a devastating knockout win on the Contender Series. The Argentinian is undefeated at 11-0 and he has finished every opponent on his records with 6 knockouts and 5 submissions to his name. At the age of 12, following his father passing away, Esteban began training to cope with the loss, and he eventually found himself coaching and fighting professionally, becoming the number one fighter in Argentina already at just 26 years old. His record is impressive, though it is worth noting his contender series shot was his first fight outside his homeland, and Rajabov definitely has the higher level competition under his belt. Esteban though, he's well-rounded, he's got some nice diverse attacks in the kickboxing sphere, and once he hits the mat, I really love how he grapples. He uses the Kimura as a position and a reaction rather than just a submission move. Rebovix grabs the Kimura as he's being taken down and he uses it to reverse position, sweep and get to his opponent's back or get back on top and he has three finishes from the Kimura too. Lovely stuff to watch. In his Dana White Contender Series outing though, he didn't fancy grappling. He came out like he was shot out of a cannon and he swanged and banged and he got the knockout. He doesn't have the best striking defense on earth but he is fast and he's more than willing to take a punch to land one or two. Two great prospects here, very different styles. I will say if Rebovix tries his Kimura stuff to defend takedowns from Rajabov. he is going to get slammed on his head, just like Rose Namajunas did, so he needs to be careful. Rebovix for sure has the better striking and is much faster and rangier, so if he can keep the volume high and avoid the takedown, he stands an excellent chance. But Loic's level of experience in competition is just so much higher. And I don't believe that Rebovix has faced anyone with the wrestling pedigree or the grindy mindset of Loic Radzibov. Should be fun either way, but just on balance, I will take Loic Radzibov to win by TKO. Next up at 135, Farid Basharat takes on Damon Blackshear. The younger of the two fighting Basharat brothers, as Farid and his big brother Javed fled Afghanistan with their families at a very young age, living in refugee camps before finding a home in London, England. Now fighting together out of extreme couture, the two of them are both undefeated, and now Farid looks to join his big bro in the UFC. A perfect 9-0 in MMA, including his contender series shot last time out. Extremely versatile fighter with some lovely kickboxing out of the orthodox stance, including some tasty leg kicks and the capacity to send you to the shadow realm when he takes it upstairs. Five submissions on his record and a really powerful guard passing ground and pound combo on the mat as well. I really do enjoy watching this guy fight. He mixes things up excellently and he does things on the feet that require serious confidence in himself to pull off. Farid knows he's ready for the UFC and he is always looking for a finish. Damon Blackshear, meanwhile, makes his sophomore effort in the UFC, his debut being a draw against Yusuf Salal. The 28-year-old has already fought some serious competition in his short career, including Tony Gravely as an amateur, Pat Sabatini, and Bellator's Danny Sabatello. Blackshear got into fighting as a way to drag himself and his family out of poverty, and even in his youth, he used to walk around his neighborhood in Philly asking known street fighters for technique tips. He wasn't afraid of a rumble on the concrete in his youth either, and his first organized martial art was jujitsu, which followed by a successful high school wrestling career means grappling is second nature to the BJJ black belt. A solid but spotty early career eventually led to Cage Fury Fighting Championship where he hit his stride, snatching four straight wins and a big gold belt on his way to the UFC. Extremely athletic and active in the scramble with some fast and powerful hands as well. Blackshear is explosive at all times. The undefeated Farid Basharat is a big favorite and even though he has had fewer fights in his career than Blackshear and a lower level of competition, he grew up in the gym with his brother. Though he could be out and out wrestled here, he has the edge in speed, technique, striking and submission so I will take Farid Basharat. I'll say he gets it done by TKO. Next up, a couple of strawweight ladies, we have Jessica Panay taking on Tabitha Ricci. Jessica Panay is back after only managing one fight last year amid myriad injuries and illnesses. At four and two in her last six, she needs to put some wins together and at age 40, she's definitely nearing the end of the line. But of course, she's incredibly well-rounded. She's fought a who's who in women's MMA and she has been in the UFC since 2014. Tabitha Ricci, meanwhile, sits on the other end of the spectrum. She's 12 years younger than Panay and just eight fights into her MMA career. The Brazilian baby shark is going to look to add a famous scalp to her resume. A lifetime martial artist, Ricci's judoka father signed her up for classes at six years old. And by her teens, she was winning national level titles in Moita. So fair to say she's been doing this for a while. Grappling though is definitely her bread and butter and after sharpening up her ground skills with some jujitsu, she became an all around killer. Spending some time in Japan to fight a bunch of weird mixed rules bouts at Seiza, Richie continued her MMA career going 5-0 outside the UFC before being called up. Currently she's riding a two fight win streak in the promotion, she'll be looking to jump into the rankings with this one. You can tell she grew up grappling, she's a little bit of a flat footed striker, but Richie isn't one to hang around in the kickboxing range. She's very Ronda Rousey-esque. She wants the clinch and if she can get a hold of you she will drag you to the mat one way or another and she will make you a lovely colourful smear on the canvas. An average of 4 takedowns per 15 minutes and over 15 minutes of control time in just her last 2 fights it paints the picture. Big odds for Ricci here. I do think Panay is the much more well rounded fighter but Ricci has a lot of physical advantages and I assume she will be far faster in there as well. I think eventually she falls into the clinch, she gets it to the mat and once you're down there she is dominant so I'll say she gets her way into the rankings with a submission Next up at Bantamweight we have Mana Martinez taking on Cameron Simon. This one should be fun, two talented young guys we've spoken about before. Mana Martinez has had some fun ones in his three fights in the Big Show thus far. He's keeping it respectable with a 2 and 1 UFC run so far. A former Fury FC champ and looking for a fight alumni, the Saul Solis student moved to James Krause's glory MMA and then had to move on again to Main Street Boxing back in Texas after the Krausening. So he's had to change up camps a lot in the last few fights. Mana is a scrapper and a brawler with some crazy highlight reel knockouts on his record. In his UFC run, he has been way more finessed, but he feels like training with Derek Lewis's coach at Main Street will bring back out that swanging and banging. so look out for that. Cameron Simon, of course, is the babyface killer from South Africa. He looks like he should be doing his maths homework, but he is in fact here to punch you in the face. 22 years old, undefeated, and possibly the highest ceiling in the UFC right now for this kid. Excellent smooth kickboxing. In the clinch, he is a murderer, and just like his big dad, Drikus Duplessis, he's got some donkey he can't ground and pound on him as well. This kid does not get hit cleanly. Across his Zufa fight so far, he's eaten less than two strikes per minute, and while he may have an obvious gap in his wrestling game, he's proven that he will get back up and he will bring the fight straight back to you. Fantastic one here. Mana has the edge on reach and range, and I think he will be bringing some serious firepower as well. Simon needs to keep his wits about him, but I think if he can keep it to the kickboxing range and the clinch and not get caught in a boxing match, he should be able to take it. So I'll take Cameron Simon by decision. Next up at 1 Ian Machado Gary takes on Kenan Song. Oh, this one's a banger as well. The hype behind Ian Gary has taken a little bit of a hit lately because he was expected to run through every opponent so far easily and he's only managed to win decisions in his last two outings. He still remains undefeated though and obviously one of the best prospects in the entire sport. Incredible timing on his counters and power through his kicks as well as a proven danger on the mat as well with his judo and submission skills. And now the added Brazilian surname after his marriage to Leila Machado. I think automatically gets him a BJJ black belt. Pretty sure that's how that works. He needs to move forward now and prove he is the finisher that he was in Cage Warriors and he gets his most dangerous opponent here yet in Song. Cannon Song enters his fifth year in the UFC and he proved to everyone that despite beating up bin men in Asia for his pre-UFC career, he is the real deal. Excellent power in his hands and speed in his counters and the capacity at 170 pounds to knock out any man walking. Three knockout wins in his six UFC belts so far. Defense, absolutely nothing. Not a priority for Song He relies on his chin Which got him in big trouble Last time out As he ate a knockout loss Against Max Griffin These are some big Powerful boys for sure And Gary needs to tuck that chin And avoid the hand speed of Song But Gary should have A much higher rate of fire And a range advantage as well And a wholesale grappling advantage too I think Ian Gary knows That he needs a big knockout here To restart the hype train And he's gonna be hunting for it And it's obvious how talented he is So I will take Ian Machado Gary by knockout Next up at 185 Julian Marquez Takes on Marc Andre barrio two ufc vets here barrio in his 11th ufc bout and marquez best known for shooting his shot with miley cyrus that one time both these guys have entered gatekeeper territory for me six wins seven losses in the ufc between them and both are coming off a loss so definitely a who moves forward and who gets in trouble with the boss kind of fight here marquez's finish hunting ways have landed him a good few performance bonuses with every win coming by way of finish he's a submission hunting machine with a long time wrestling background and powerful hooks on the inside and he's fun on the mic as well. Barriol is a much more experienced fighter. The former TKO double champ back in Canada entered the UFC with three straight losses, but switching camps to Sanford MMA helped him get in the winner's column back in 2021. Barriol started in Kung Fu back in Quebec, and he definitely does prefer to keep it standing. Marquez will have a grappling advantage, but he usually likes to keep it standing as well. Both of these men carry huge power at 185. I can see this getting down and dirty with a lot of exchanges and clinching, and between them, the only thing that stands out is that grappling acumen of Marquez and his ability when the chips are down to drag it to the mat and grind. So I will take Julian Marquez. I'll say he gets it done by TKO. Next up at Flyweight, we have Viviane Araujo taking on Amanda Hibas. Two ranked Brazilian ladies duking it out here, both coming off of losses. Araujo, of course, with her lovely crisp boxing and low kicks. Hibas with the more traditional Brazilian Muay Thai game and big, looping, powerful combination strikes. Araujo has got the range advantage here. And although she's a jiu-jitsu black belt herself, I definitely say with her judo jiu-jitsu. Combo attack. Hibas is the stronger takedown artist and the more smothering grappler on the mat. It's a really nice matchup with not too many obvious gaps in talent anywhere between these two. Araujo will try to keep it in the boxing range. I think Hibas is going to blitz a lot, and while she might get hit, she will probably fall into the clinch, and she's always dangerous with her throws from that position. I can see it hitting the mat, and overall, I can see Hibas having more advantages here. So I will take Amanda Hebas by decision. Next up at middleweight, Derek Brunson takes on Dricus Du Plessis. gets a big step up here. Here for sure. Bit of a Styles Clash as well. Brunson with his NCAA Division 2 All-American Wrestling but his tendency to attack chin first like a mad pigeon is the definition of a glass cannon. Dricus, meanwhile has devastatingly powerful kickboxing and a hell of a squeeze on his guillotines if Derek doesn't shoot right. Honestly, Derek could definitely wrestle his way to a boring decision here but I see him getting clipped and I'm pretty sure Still Knox could actually knock out a five-story building so I will take Dricus Du Plessis by KO. Your feature prelim on the night at 1.35 Cody Garvey Garbrandt takes on Trevin Jones. These lads are on a combined five-fight losing streak, and honestly, if it weren't for Garbrandt's name value, they'd both be facing the chopping block here. Jones came into the UFC in a really tough situation with a long but fairly low-level career in Guam under his belt. He was asked to take on Russian destroyer Timo Valiev on one day's notice, and he was like, yeah, alright. After being nearly finished in a hellish tonight round, Jones came out and knocked Valiev out cold as the plus-500 underdog. Performance of the night for that one, but it was overturned because he tested positive for weed, which, as any Diaz brother would tell you, is absolute bullshit. A New Orleans native, Jones' family moved out to Guam to be closer to his US Marine Corps father. He picked up jiu-jitsu after some friends in football invited him in 2011, as late as 21 years old. Jones got himself a nice long 18-fight career in MMA as a result of that intro to martial arts, fighting mostly in Guam with brief stopovers around Asia and Europe. Stylistically, despite his jiu-jitsu black belt, do not expect a grapple fest. Jones likes to stay on the feet and has some seed power in his hands, mostly relying on his really fast lead hook. He hunts for it constantly, he likes to end combos with it, and he uses it as a check counter very well, but his defense is a worry. His volume is low, he gets outstruck even when he wins, and he leans on that toughness a bit too much for my liking. It's a weird one, Trevin is very, very hittable, and he plays around in Cody's wheelhouse, but he's never been KO'd, and he's got a chin made out of adamantium. Comparably, he hits very hard, and Cody nowadays seems like he could be knocked out by a stiff breeze. I don't see it hitting the mat, and I can't see it going to the judges, either. Someone's getting slept, and and that makes it a toss-up for me, but I can only really see one guy getting clipped. The guy who's been getting clipped for like four years by now. So I guess I'm gonna take Trevor Jones by knockout. Opening up the main card, we have Jamie Pickett taking on Bo Nickel. Minus 1,800. Yes, we finally get to see Bo Nickel in the big show. If you somehow missed this kid's rise, Bo Nickel is among the most accomplished wrestlers in American history. Three-time Division One Champion, Dan Hodge Trophy, US Olympic team finalist The works. Since switching to MMA, he proved he ain't just a pretty wrestling singlet either, going 3-0 as a pro so far with all finishes, including a brutal knockout with the hands. Training now out of American Top Team and being groomed by Dana White, he is the biggest prospect in MMA and one of the most hyped crossovers from the world of wrestling to MMA ever. Can he do it on the big show? Jamie Pickett is no slouch either. He's as wide as he is tall and he has some massive knockouts on his record with explosive power and athleticism. But he's on two-fight losing streak, and despite a legit brown belt under John Salter, he is not going to want to entertain that arena with Bo. Look, at 185 pounds with a guy picket size, anything can happen, and any strike that lands can end it. But Bo Nickel is one of the most anticipated UFC debuts for a reason, and the odds makers aren't afraid to show it. I'll take Bo Nickel by submission. Next up at 155, Mateus Gamrot takes on Jalen Turner. Dan Hooker broke his hand, and Gamrot steps in to take on the Tarantula. Gamrot had his excellent run through the lightweight division, stopped by ben Dariush, and if he'd managed to get past Gadoosh, Gamrot definitely would have been knocking on the door for a title shot. Turner, meanwhile, maintains a five-fight finishing streak against some seriously tough opponents, and he just ran through Brad Riddell in 45 seconds. This kid has a rocket strapped to him, and if he gets past Gamrot, he is going to the moon. This may be the Hardcore's main event, absolutely stellar matchmaking here. Both of these guys are just so high-level everywhere. Gamrot needs to deal with that massive reach disadvantage, and if it hits the mat, as good as Mateus is, Jalen's proving to be unlimited. Livable. And those long, skinny limbs sneak around your neck like a particularly vicious bow tie. I can't wait to watch it. It could go either way, but based on current form, I have to take Jalen Turner by submission. Next up, a welterweight Jeff Neal takes on Shavkat Rachmanov. Man, this is a banger as well. Jeff Neal righted the ship after two losses and became the first man ever to finish Vicente Luque. Shavkat Rachmanov has burst into the top 10, murdering every opponent put in his path and finishing them all. No one has made it out of round two against Shavkat and his combat Sambo. Eight knockouts and eight submissions. He recently submitted Neil Magny, who Jeff Neil lost to, so he's proven he is up to this level now. Neil is one of the better boxers in the division, and when he adapts to his opponent, he's dangerous, but he has a habit of sticking to the game plan, even if it isn't working. I think Shavkat is going to show Neil a lot of looks, and if he can't adapt to what's happening, Rachmanov's going to run through him. So I will take Shavkat Rachmanov by submission. Your co event of the evening for gold at 125: Valentina Shevchenko takes on Alexa Grasso. Val has been looking less and less invincible as of late. At minus 625 against Talia Santos, she struggled and only made a split decision. Alexa has put damage on her last few opponents with that Mexican boxing, and we know she's capable on the ground as well. I do think she's a little too boxing heavy on the feet, and with the reach disadvantage, Val should be able to outrange and outkick her. But once it comes to the clinch, I think Val is among the best in the world in that situation. She will damage and throw Alexa in that clinch and land damage on the mat as well. If Val hangs around in the boxing range, she could be in trouble, but I see this going the way of Val's older fights. Clinch, toss, ground and pound. I'll say Shevchenko keeps her belt here by decision. And finally, your main event for the vacant heavyweight championship, John Jones takes on Cyril Garn. It is hard to analyze a guy going up in weight after so many years of inactivity, but we all know what John Jones is capable of. I can't wait to see what he's like. Is he slower on the feet? Does he choose to wrestle or is he going to entertain a stand up against a guy as big and technical as Garn? Cyril is a giant dude with some of the most technical striking at heavyweight, so I would not at all be surprised to see John struggle there, and hell. If he gets clipped, it's not gonna be like getting hit by Dominic Reyes. He's going to sleep. Making picks based on the physical aspect, to me is impossible here because we don't know what John's gonna be like this much older and this much heavier. IQ wise, obviously he's one of the greatest of all time. If Francis Ngannou can out-wrestle Cyril Gane, John Jones can do it. So if he doesn't get clipped, I'll say John Jones becomes the heavyweight champion by decision. But what do you guys think? I seriously think this card is underrated. That main card is absolutely stacked. I like the look of some of the prelims as well. Hopefully it is as good in real life as it is on paper. Let me know what you think of my picks on Twitter and in the comments below, and have yourself a lovely weekend.